0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 31st, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Deaths from opioids are way up in the United States, but the standard narrative of opioid addiction and overdose would demand crackdowns on physicians who prescribe opioids. New data indicates that much of the standard narrative is simply wrong, and pain patients are paying the price. In Dallas this month, I spoke with Cato Senior Fellow Jeff Singer about what must be true for this standard narrative on opioid addiction to be correct.
1: The standard narrative about the causes of the opioid overdose crisis has been for the last several years that basically um, incompetent uh, or unprepared doctors were manipulated by greedy pharmaceutical manufacturers into Overprescribing prescription opioids to naive, innocent patients who then became hooked on them and were condemned to a life of addiction, and that the pharmaceutical companies sold the doctors on the, the belief that prescription opioids have a very low overdose potential and a very low addictive potential, when in fact these people say, it actually has a high overdose potential and a high addictive potential. So all these people right now who are dying from opioid-related deaths primarily derive from people who are overly prescribed, more too liberally prescribed prescription opioids.
0: So in order for the standard narrative to be true, we would expect there to be a reasonably high addiction rate for people who have been prescribed opioids in recent years, as compared with in the in the 90s or the 2000s and the 90s and the 80s.
1: Yes, and numerous uh, studies, not just studies done back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but some uh, very big, very high-quality recent studies show that not to be the case. For example, in 2010 and 2012, two uh, Cochrane systematic reviews were reported. For those who don't know, Cochrane reviews are considered among the most rigorous highly respected uh, types of studies done in the medical field. And they found uh, on chronic non-cancer pain patients on opioids chronically a roughly 1% addiction rate. A recent study published in the beginning of 2018 from researchers at Harvard and Johns Hopkins looked at 568,000 acute post-surgical patients given opioids and these were what they call opioid-naive patients, meaning patients that don't usually get any of these drugs. Between the years 2008 and 2016, acute post-surgical patients given opioids.
0: So these are people that we would expect to otherwise have tremendous amounts of pain.
1: Right, and they'd be based on the narrative, they would be vulnerable to addiction. Uh, And these were all patients in the Aetna database. So they were able to, you know, it was very good access to data. And they looked at what they call misuse codes. There are several diagnostic codes ranging on one extreme misuse would be if, let's say, you had some leftover uh, narcotic from your surgery and you got a terrible toothache, so you decided to take it. And that wasn't what it was prescribed for. So that's misuse. All the way on the other extreme where you're addicted. And they found a total misuse rate of point. 6%. And again, I took the two Cochrane studies in chronic patients, so 1%. A lot of the uh, people in the policy world tend to equate dependence and addiction. They're two separate things. Addiction is a disease. It's a compulsive disorder that has a significant genetic component, whereas dependence is very common with various medications. When you're taking medications for a long period of time, your body physiologically adapts, and you can go through very serious withdrawal symptoms if they're abruptly stopped. And I'm talking about things as simple as uh, familiar p- medications like beta blockers. If you've been on them for a steady period of time, you can't just stop them abruptly, or you could have life-threatening withdrawal. So uh, a lot of people tend to use the words dependence and addiction uh, interchangeably because in both cases, if you s- abruptly stop, you go into withdrawal. But they are two different entities, and one is a compulsive behavior that occurs even in the face of obvious self-destructive uh, Uh, results where you just can't stop yourself. So that's been the standard narrative. So meanwhile, the science first of all, points out that the uh, addiction rate and the misuse rate is low. As far as the overdose rate is concerned, the science on the overdose rate is is also contrary to the narrative. For example, Das Gupta and others at University of North Carolina in, uh, in 2010, they reported on a study Uh, where they did a prospective cohort study, the people of North Carolina, and they studied all people during that year in North Carolina prescribed opioids. So that was 2.2 million people. They found an overdose rate of 0.022%. And of of those, 61% had multiple other drugs on board that could have, have been responsible. There was a very famous study done in 2011 by... Amy Bonnert and others, uh, it was published in JAMA on about 155,000 VA patients followed over a couple of years. In fact, this was a study that influenced a lot of the policymakers to put restrictions on the amount of opioid dosing because the study found basically a relationship between dose and overdose. But what's often overlooked is in the opening paragraphs of that study, they point out that they found a total overdose rate of 0.04%. And out of those 0.04%, there was a dose relationship to the, those who overdosed.
0: We have seen this dramatic increase, and let's put this in perspective, of uh, opioid-related overdoses. What do we know about the overdose rate from opioids, and what where those are coming from in terms of whether they're coming from prescriptions or fentanyl or heroin or methadone.
1: Okay. Over the last several years, we've been gradually seeing the the opioid-related overdose rate continue to climb, but the mix of drugs responsible for that has been changing so that now it's predominantly heroin and fentanyl. In fact, the most recent numbers released by the CDC for 2017 showed a 13% increase in opioid-related overdose deaths between 2016 and 2017, and 75% of those opioid-related overdose deaths were heroin and or fentanyl. Out of the opioid-related overdose deaths that were specifically limited to prescription opioids, with no other Drugs involved that, with the prescription opioids, just by themselves, that counted for only about ten percent of the opioid-related overdose rate.
0: So uh, let's take again the standard narrative seriously that these were unwitting patients who became hooked on these prescription drugs. Even if that story is true, why would the DEA order a reduction in the manufacturer? of prescription opioids over the last two years, 2017 and 2018, um, if the concern was helping people who are addicted to uh, or or dealing with this addiction problem?
1: Well, it seems like their biggest concern is on people using prescription opioids as opposed to people dying. Because if there was concern about people dying then they wouldn't be pressing people who are non-medically using prescription opioids to where they have to find other substitutes because all that's been happening over the last several years is is as prescription opioids have become less available in the black market, non-medical users have just migrated over to heroin and now, more recently, heroin and fentanyl. In fact, fentanyl is the the biggest killer lately.
0: So we've seen at the same time Fentanyl-related overdoses, either caused by fentanyl or fentanyl's in the mix there somewhere or heroin, uh, dramatically increase. States and the feds, your state, Arizona, many other states, are cracking down on prescription opioids. What is driving that effort? Because based on what you've said, it doesn't seem like data is driving the push to deal with this overdose problem?
1: Well, it's most of the policymakers believe that the population of non medical users th- who are now being driven to the more dangerous drugs, heroin and fentanyl, derived from patients who were innocently introduced to opioids by doctors and became hooked. So their thought is if we can get doctors to stop prescribing opioids or prescribe them as little as possible, that We'll stop producing these non-medical users, and then that plus some increased spending on rehab, and the thing will kind of eventually kind of run its course and come under
0: control. Their view is that we need to cut off the pipeline of these people from prescription drugs to these... Uh, you know, fentanyl is, you know, so much more powerful than
1: uh, more. these these other drugs. And in the process, a lot of patients are really suffering. You're seeing a lot of chronic pain patients who have had meaningful lives, but they've been on high doses of opioids to keep them out of pain so they could work and, and have a meaningful life, suddenly being abruptly cut off or cut back because of pre- their doctors are being pressured by the government, and then these people, some of them are getting desperate, they're turning to the black market to get relief, sometimes they're turning to heroin, sometimes they're overdosing, some are committing suicide, and and even acute patients, like post-surgical patients, are getting under-medicated for their post-surgical pain because of this push to get doctors to prescribe less, and doctors are afraid that they'll get into trouble.
0: So, these are people who are dependent, but probably not addicted for the most part.
1: And. Not only are they dependent, but it's, it's working for them. It's keeping them out of pain so they could have a meaningful life. If that were the case, again, the government's own data flies in the face of that theory that they have. Because, first of all, if you look at the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which started taking surveys every year in 2002, consistently they show that less than 25% of non-medical users of prescription opioids ever obtain their prescription opioids from a doctor. They get it from a friend, a relative, or a dealer. Uh, A study done by researchers at University of Pennsylvania came out in 2009. They looked at 27,000 OxyContin addicts admitted to rehab between the years 2004 and 2008. This is when these things were really peaking. They found that 22% said that they ever went to a doctor at all to get a prescription. The remainder, 78%, got it from a friend, a relative, or a dealer. And also, 78% had a history of prior treatment for substance abuse disorder. So I've always maintained that this has always really been about drug prohibition. You have a population of people who are non-medically using licit or illicit drugs. Um, And sure, there are some patients who got introduced to it, and then because maybe they were genetically vulnerable became addicted and and sure there were some doctors who because of drug prohibition saw an opportunity to make money and sold prescriptions or or worked out deals with deals but though that's that's the exception not the rule but it's an easy target for policymakers because they like something simple but the majority are people who have been non-medical users in the black market. They liked to use prescription type opioids, perhaps because the fact that they were legal prescription opioids made them feel they were safer. Uh, They were familiar with them because they'd seen friends or relatives prescribe them. And that was their drug of choice. But as we've decreased the supply, they've just moved over to the more dangerous stuff. But if if what I've said up until now hasn't convinced people, just recently, I I actually blogged on this uh, in December. There's a something that's in the data that nobody seems to have noticed until recently that should basically you know, put the nail in the coffin of that standard narrative. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health has been uh, saying since 2000, from 2002 to 2014 the percentage of past month non-medical users of pain relievers of adults age 12 or older, that's the terminology used by the government, stayed basically unchanged from 2002 to 2014. Likewise, from 2002 to 2014, according to the national survey, the percentage of people with what they call pain reliever use disorder in the past year among adults aged 12 or older also stayed essentially unchanged.
0: So we're seeing essentially a flat line. Right. But the popular narrative here is that there was some sort of spike that's correct. In but, these people being prescribed, and then a, a big burst of those people went off a, into heroin and fentanyl and consuming...
1: But a, there's more. From, yeah. from 2002 to 2014, the number of prescriptions written, according to the CDC, doubled. In fact, from 1999 to 2015, the number of prescriptions written tripled. So you have a doubling or tripling of the number of prescriptions written with no change in the non-medical use of prescription drugs or in the percentage of people with pain reliever use disorder? What should this tell anybody about the relationship between writing prescriptions for opioids and the non-medical use or the abuse of prescription opioids? There's no relationship. Yet we keep cutting down on the ability of doctors to write these prescriptions. Since 2010, the overall a rate of prescriptions has reduced about twenty nine percent overall, and for high dose opioids, over fifty percent for high dose opioids. And despite that, the overdose rate continues to go up. Patients now are suffering because they're getting under medicated for their pain. And how many more examples do we need before people disabuse themselves of this narrative? That we got to get doctors to stop prescribing opioids to people in pain if we want to lick this overdose crisis. The overdose crisis is a result of prohibition.
0: Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. We spoke earlier this month in Dallas. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.